<laughs> See, the problem was this shitty kid walks in like he walked in like before the movie even started. And like I kind of smelled poop and I was like, that's weird. We are heading out to sea and however it'll be, it ain't gonna be the same. No matter what we see Hello everybody and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 398 with our review of Hail Caesar. I am Christopher Would That It Were So Schnazy. I'm Stephen Miller. <laughs> and I'm Carson Patrick. Okay, and if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, we are talking about the new Coen Brothers film... Hail Caesar. How are you two doing this evening? Just partying and fusing. Partying, <laughs> fusing. <laughs> are you guys doing well? <laughs> I'm doing so well. Downloading lots of lots of apps on Google Play. <laughs> it's been a long day. I feel like we had a meeting at 10 a.m., which isn't that bad, but it felt bad to me today. I, don't, I was it, definitely it must tired. Have been pretty bad because it was 10:30. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was supposed to be there at 10 for a pre-meeting oh, meeting. Oh, your pre-game in the meeting. Oh, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And then at some point in the day, you guys both body swapped, and uh, oh, yeah. Carson became Steven, yeah. and Steven became Carson. Yeah, we're doing a Freaky Friday situation. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty great. Yeah. I, I'm Jamie Lee Curtis now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> and I, I loved 45 years. It really reminded me of my parents' marriage. <laughs> I just loved... Um, I'm Lindsay Lohan. I'm the parent. Pan. Pan. Wasn't Pan great, you guys? Mm. <laughs> okay. I didn't see it, I so see, I, don't I know. see what you're doing. <laughs> uh, so, I was going to make a joke about how now that Steven is Carson, he has to love this film, and Carson as Steven... I was going to say it would have to be mediocre on this film, but I, I don't. This is the type of film that I think can throw all of our usual, um, our usual roles for our reviews out the window with this type of film. I think so. And I should clarify, we're both played by Tilda Swinton. Oh, of course. Yeah. My <laughs> favorite. A, a, I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. Wh- which one of you is the Tilda Swinton that has no teeth? Uh, I don't care. I'll, <laughs> I'll take a shoe on her head. I'll take uh, I'll take any Tilda Swinton, any way possible. Would that it was so Swinton. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you guys ready to get into Hail Caesar? Yep. Yeah. Gotta take the nanners off my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do some lasso tricks, and uh, you know, I think that this 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 podcast review could go really great if 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 only we had. If we had but, if we had but, I forget the line. So we're going to listen to the trailer for this uh, film, Hail Caesar, and we're going to come back and give you a review. Nailed it. (laughs) Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long since your last confession, my son? 27 hours. It's really too often. You're not that bad. Here at Capitol Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're going to give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. 
Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but... If we had... Faith! 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 Cut! Ah. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future. Hello, Bert. Hello, Mr. Mannix. Lawrence, Obi, thank you all for coming. The studio needs your help. Bad Whitlock has been kidnapped. This is bad. Bad for movie stores everywhere. She sings the perfect harmony. Let's spend 24 hours. But we're looking for him. We don't want it in the gossip columns. This is going to cost the studio a lot of money. And that's where you come in. I need some cash. You must have very strong forearms. Is it hard squeezing it like that? It's part of the job, miss. I don't know what the hell is going on here. 20 million readers want the truth, Eddie. Truth, yes. Mm. Eddie. This is a drama, Mannix, a real drama. Mr. Mannix, I know it sounds screwy, but someone's calling from the future. Good Lord. Wondering what's going on? So that was the trailer for Hail Caesar. Um, basically, there's this Hollywood fixer guy, and uh, his star guy gets kidnapped by the future. <laughs> and he's got to try to... Good Lord. Huh? Good Lord. Oh, yeah, good Lord. <laughs> uh, but he has to try to figure out what's going on and put everything back together and make Hollywood run like the well-oiled machine that it is. I wanted to say well-oiled ship, but I think I'm mixing metaphors. Either way, mm-hmm. Carson. Well-oiled vagina? I I don't think that's what I was going for. Oh, I thought it, I thought it was. But anyways, I mean, I, I, I have no doubts that this is your favorite film of the year so far. So why don't you confirm that that is the case? Uh, well, uh, Sometimes Chris is wildly off the mark, like when uh, I was talking about Pan, and you're just like, are you trolling me? It's like, <laughs> by now you think that, you know, yes, I'm tr- I've been trolling for all these years. This, this is such a, you know, the jig is up. No. It's been one um, long con. Right, yeah. That would be really, really uh, elaborate and uh, nonsensical on my part, but... Uh, I think you're you're on the money this time though because <laughs> I th- love this movie and I of think course. that I have a I have a feeling that or I have a theory that uh the future is responsible for this movie coming out uh in February and not last year at the end of last year during award season because I think they kind of just forced it to be out the beginning of this year because they knew it would just like it would it would just crush everything else because this is way better than like any of the awards baity movies that have uh, that came out last year. I think it's funny because like I remember after seeing Trumbo, the first thought I had was, well, I wish the Coen Brothers had had done this. And uh, it's, it's funny I brought up uh, Trumbo also when when Stephen and I walked out of the theater. 
Yeah, and essentially this movie is uh, <laughs> the Trumbo that I was hoping for. Um, but it this is a... I mean, this I, I didn't expect uh, anything less than great from this movie, but I really think that I, there's there's really something... I mean, there's something special about any Coen Brothers movie, but I mean, this one, for some reason, like, really stuck with me. I, I know that I saw it a week before uh, it came out, and I'll uh, touch back on that later because there's a story to go with that. But um, I, I just remember, like, for that whole week, it really stayed with me in thinking about it, and uh, there's been a lot of people calling it sort of a... Uh, sort of lightweight Coens, but, uh, I I think it's, I don't think it's very lightweight at all. I think there's a, it's a very substantial movie with a lot of, uh, a lot of crazy, like, metaphors and subtext that I'm sure if, uh, you know, I tried to explain or theorize, I'd start sounding like an idiot, but, uh, there's definitely a lot more going on under the surface. I, I feel like there is, it is a light and breezy film, but, um, it's not just a throwaway movie. It's definitely uh, it's definitely got some weight to it, and I think that the the main success of this movie is that it simultaneously pays homage to uh, classic old you know the golden age of Hollywood uh, while also satirizing it. Uh, there's like it it's weird. It's like it's it's a really nice mix of being uh, very loving and then also very uh, cutthroat too uh especially in the sequence with uh channing tatum's c tates's musical sequence (laughs) i think that's like the perfect balance of like knowing satire like and and a loving tribute to those kind of movies you know what that scene Um, really needed though more dams oh yeah (laughs) like judy dench (laughs) right yeah and helen mirren too for sure (laughs) i guess she was too busy being trumbo (laughs) <laughs> and th- she, can only, people- she can only be in one commie motion picture film <laughs> yeah i guess i think that's like a contract that's like a rule yeah um but uh i mean this movie is i don't know this movie is just really great i think that it's perfectly cast and uh uh this is the this is the moment where uh you know commence the roger deacon circle jerk <laughs> and uh point out that this movie looks amazing and uh, <laughs> during, perfectly captures <laughs> the time period. During dur- during the credits, Stephen uh, tapped me, pointed at the screen, and said, "Roger Deakins, I know that name." Well, you should. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it, in particular because of you and Sarah yeah, yeah, berating yeah. us for not mentioning him in Sicario. I mean, definitely. Uh, I mean, the man is uh, the man's unstoppable. So. And this movie looks, I mean, this movie looks like a bajillion dollars. And, uh, I, I mean, there's not much else to say other than it's a, it's a really, really great movie. All right, Steven. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty on board for that with, with just a few caveats that I don't think hurt the movie at all. But I just feel like if it were nothing but praise, people might walk into it and be like kind of confused with what they get in the end. Um, so to me, this movie felt like the Coen brothers doing Wes Anderson almost. Like, what I love about Anderson movies is it's this, like, varied cast of actors who play dress up together in this zany, colorful world. 
and this really had a lot of that fun to it like there are it's just such a varied movie i mean big names in this movie are in it for maybe like two minutes max then that's all you get like big famous people just get one or two goofy scenes and then they vanish again um but unlike a the kind of dollhouse aesthetic that wes anderson goes this is like a big crazy circus <laughs> with hugely entertaining scenes things that I think they do fit together in a way. I mean, like Carson said, there are probably metaphors and subtext here. Um, it's definitely examining the movie-making industry, whether the phoniness should detract from its fun. I think it's kind of doing a similar thing to what A Serious Man did, where it's bringing in a lot of religion, and like there's a great scene with the rabbi, preacher, priest, and the Messianic Jew arguing about the meaning <laughs> of this or that. Um <laughs> Like, like I think the Coens are just obsessed with rituals and, like, these bizarre things that people do, whether it's, like, Jewish customs or a particular subgroup of the culture. Like, the weird things that we decide are the norm and then the standards we hold each other to. Um, and this movie just had so much fun playing with that in the realm of Hollywood, of, like, stars are supposed to be, like, dazzling and beautiful and their private lives are micromanaged <laughs> and then beneath the surface they're like total train wrecks um there are so many just wonderful scenes in this movie like truly very entertaining very thrilling channing tatum tap dancing scarlett johansson in the water scene the like amazing western scene and all the, the <laughs> ridiculous tricks that go on there um and every single one without fail ends with like a record screeching to a halt like some kind of thing that just like immediately takes you out of it like cut 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 it was all wrong that or i can't wait to get out of this thing or um francis mcdormand <laughs> doing i won't spoil it but ba basically there's a whole lot in this movie about like the magic of movie making and then suddenly throwing to like ridiculous physical comedy that takes you right out of it um and yeah it, it was pretty hilarious like I love uh, Fines and Hobies back and forth. Probably <laughs> the second MVP of the movie. I think uh, Channing Tatum's increasingly homoerotic tap dancing scene. <laughs> hey, that this is... place looks open. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, And what I love about the Coen brothers is that they really just keep pushing it. Like, they do not end the scene when you think they're going to end the scene. <laughs> like, they just keep going and going, and they're like, yeah, we're going to do a tap dancing sequence. It will be extremely elaborate, and there's not really going to be, be a payoff except for how elaborate it is. <laughs> and that just makes it a ton of fun to watch. Um, as far as the main plot of the movie goes, I think, kind of like Big Lebowski, you're not going to get a whole lot there. Uh, it kind of had a burn after reading feeling to me in that sense where like, or maybe an inherent vice where it's like, it's this big investigation with lots of characters involved and lots of things happening. But the fun of the movie is just watching them in their world. It isn't really piecing together anything. Um, I like Josh Brolin in the movie too. I thought he had a lot of the like, the charm that John C. Riley and Magnolia had of this like, well-meaning guy who the things he's worried about have nothing to do with the things he should be worried about uh you know a very coen brothers character like trying to do the right thing you know confessing to a priest about smoking and meanwhile all these crazy things are happening around him uh 
yeah, I don't know. I thought this was a fun movie. I do think it was a light, lighter Cohen movie in the sense that it didn't stick that much for me, but I thought it was a movie only they could make, and it was a total blast to watch. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had an incredible time uh, watching this film. I I feel like this is a more fun film than it is a good film in the Chris genre of filmmaking. Um, I think that. Like you know, I I don't really buy the the comments from most people besides me. I guess that it's like a love letter to like filmmaking and stuff like that. I feel like it's a film that's set in a time and in a place where films are being made, but it doesn't really. It, it it's not trying to say a lot about that process, and it's it's it, it's using technique. It, it's basically showing things in the style of that older way, but it feels like it's doing it in a way to sell the satire more than to make a statement about it. And like we we were talking about, uh, you know, the 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 plot things that overlap with Trumbo, and like the what the what the future that group of people their their whole idea about the filmmaking process and how the writers are being screwed is is completely contrary to the entire story arc of Trumbo, which is a story about like people making money hand over fist, but just not being able to use their own name because they're communists. And it's like, there's a lot of weird things in the story that like, don't make, don't make a lot of sense. Um, there's a lot of stuff with the narrative of the main character who is kind of struggling to decide between two jobs that he could possibly go with. One that is the job that he's clearly good at and wants to do, and one that would be easy work, though it's not quite clear why he's wanted by the people who want to hire him because he'd either be being a fixer for that company or, like, I don't get the idea that that would be an easy job for him to do because, in theory, he'd be doing the same kind of crap that he's doing for Hollywood. Um, But, like... I just don't, there's no narrative payoff for these big, huge, like, moral dilemmas that characters are going through or weird things. It's simply, like, little piece together uh, comedy scenes that are fun that sort of relate to oldie time movie making, but don't, aren't, aren't really caring about comparing it to modern day filmmaking they're just sort of just like it's there this is our setting this would be fun there's interesting things to know about the way filmmaking worked back then and the way these fixers had to go around and like force these people to be couples or come up with excuses for why this person's life is going a certain way but like it's not really i don't know i feel like the film doesn't really comment on it and it's like every scene is fun i'm laughing i'm enjoying it but i don't get the praise from the standpoint of like like for me, you can't just have things that are symbolic of things without a point to that symbolism. Like, you can be symbolic of something, but if you're not making a statement about that symbolicness, like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, I I enjoyed the film. I had fun. But I just, I don't, I get the praise from the fun, the casting, the acting, the antics of the film, but I don't get the praise for the filmic homaging that everybody is seems to be touting well that's because the movie wasn't found footage and in 3d or something <laughs> wait this this wasn't found footage this changes everything francis mcdormand was a cutting phoenix incident on an avid you know <laughs> final cut pro <laughs> uh, no no it's none of that stuff that but i i don't know i i mean i don't I don't know how to explain a movie that is, like, inherently an ode to cinema. Like, sort of like how 
uh, Hugo is an ode to like the birth of cinema. But no, I mean this is this this is an ode to cinema in much a different like Hugo. Hugo is a thing that makes you like, oh shit, like (laughs) this is why I love cinema. Like Hugo is a film that makes you feel bad about not appreciating cinema enough. This is a film that goes like, that's funny. I really do think that this movie is, um, it's a very angry movie, but for the Coen brothers, it's still very nice um, because they're nice people. Because I I feel like the, let me, let me ask you this though. What is the film angry about? I feel like it. I feel like they're they are com- commenting on like the state of movies today by showing you how great they were back then. But is, is any is is, is save for Hail Caesar itself and the way people are listening to George Clooney attempt to do the speech at the end of the film? Besides that moment. What scene portrays the making of films and the films that they're producing as being that great? Dude, I mean, I think it's the dazzling nature of the movie. I don't know that it's the story it's telling. But like, but like, so so there's there's one scene in the film really where you're watching an audience watch a film that has been made, and that's the scene where Guitar Boy and Bernanner Girl. Are, are sitting together and you know he, he makes he makes a statement about like oh this scene was like really whatever i was really worried that i wouldn't get this song right and his character starts singing and then there's just a comedy moment and the entire audience is laughing at this beat of comedy and like you sort of get the impression that like he's kind of sad that like everybody is laughing and not listening to the song that he put all this like his heart and soul into singing in this perfect way to make this scene great. And like the rest of the audience just cares about like the oaf that jumped in the trough to try to attach the uh, attack the moon. And to me, that is clearly showing that like the one person in that room involved in that project who really cared about making that film is the guy who's being completely ignored right now. So what in that scene is communicating the celebration of film? Uh, I mean, I feel like it's like the whole movie, kind of the crisis of faith that Josh Brolin's character is having. It is very much about like, is this all just commercial? Is there real meaning to it? Is it pure entertainment? And I feel like what this is doing, which I'm having trouble pulling other examples, but I feel like lots of movies have done it is to satirize the fact that it is kind of meaningless and the things audiences latch onto are not necessarily the highest art form of the craft. But then, like, the way the scenes play out and the way they let them get so dazzling, like, Channing Tatum does, like, legitimately amazing tap dancing stuff, regardless of how they actually film those scenes. Um, And so many of these are, like, genuinely very, very fun, not just in a ha-ha way, but also in a, like, dazzling, golden era sort of way. And um, so I feel like the story of the movie is saying that maybe it's all for nothing, but the fact of the movie is saying, look at how much fun this used to be. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of commenting on, like, a bygone era of movies and I, I just think that the if you watch it there's a lot of inherent passion for films felt in the movie sort of like how if you watch a Tarantino film there's a lot of uh you know 
passion for the craft felt in that too. But uh, I think that uh, you know there is a lot of there is a lot of stuff like Steven said where you know a lot of it is meaningless and people think they're more important than they are, especially like the actors and uh, sort of playing up, you know, playing off of that. And, um, but just the fact that like, you know, and I'm not saying that, that it's necessarily true, but uh, the, the sort of interworkings of, of Josh Brolin's character, his job, like, they all seem like everything was like a legitimate business, even though they're dealing with sort of ridiculous things. Um, and maybe it's not so much like that now. It's more kind of fueled by corporations and greed and all that stuff. And um, Eddie Mannix, the character, is definitely the uh, the nicest guy in Hollywood. That's for sure. Um, not saying that like everybody back then was nice. But uh, I don't know. There's there does seem to be some sort of commentary about how like people took it a little more like an actual job. I, I I got that out of it for sure. Like it's not a it's not a swimming with sharks situation where like Kevin Spacey is like the ultimate horrible boss, um, which is probably a like current real like current true to life. Uh, depiction of working in the movie industry but uh i don't know there's just i don't i don't know how to explain i'm sure that i'm missing something um but uh because i don't know every time we do a movie like this i'm always like all right i gotta i got a handle on it and then you know schnee's gonna schnee's <laughs> throws a curveball and i'm just like i don't know how the f- to tell you why it's you know it has what you think it's lacking. Like I like that it just is. It just is. It is. It is. It just is. I think that, I think that, um, what's interesting is that, you know, there's always, there's always at least one death in a Coen brothers movie. And this one, this movie breaks that rule. Um, but I almost think that there's a, there's a, there's a point in the movie where someone drops a briefcase full of money into the ocean and I and it lingers on that briefcase for a long time. Almost feels like that's a sort of like a metaphorical shot of like you know throwing money away, mm-hmm. something but, to do with that. The 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 so the the thing that died in this movie was the money, I guess. But you could uh, also argue that the future died. Yeah, mm-hmm. which could be you know commenting I mean, I on think, today's movies. I don't know. If anything, that that scene to me is a good example of why they aren't committing to a message <laughs> like if you were as a schnazy watching this trying to see like oh i get what the future are going for what the what the communist party is up to what they stand for writers are being screwed blah 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 that that moment is basically saying oh by the way they're also throwing it away like they're not doing anything any more reasonable than the rest of us um and and i feel like yeah i don't i don't know if i see this movie as a profound meditation on cinema like i i don't think it has the schnazy quality of like hugo with movies it isn't trying to make you like cry or trying to make you say oh man they're right how have i forgotten this so much is more of a mel brooksy kind of ode to cinema where it's like uh playing with tropes and elevating the antics and going all out and making a big production. And that is the fun part. And that is the ode. 
and then it can afford to undercut every single thing it does because it knows like at the end of the day you're still going to watch it and you're still going to have fun yeah, no, no, and, and, yeah. and, and i and i have no problem with that and that that's because it did execute on that aspect of it i do enjoy the film but i feel like if this was let's say this was a more straightforward like whodunit caper and we're being presented with these fun aspects of old school filmmaking and it's just there in the background it'd be fine but because there are literally characters gathering together in rooms trying to make theoretically profound statements about the state of cinema. I feel like if you don't do that or connect that to anything or, or, or do anything at all with that, it sort of undercuts the mess. Like, it's like, why is that there at all? Like, it's, is the whole joke that he's like starting to make a statement and then just trailing away or they are starting to make a statement and then trail away from it? Um, I feel like, yeah, I mean, I get a sort of MacGuffin feel with that whole subplot. <laughs> kind of like uh i don't even remember now honestly i've seen the big lebowski like five times and i could not tell you now exactly what happens in that movie (laughs) but but i get a similar feeling of like there are shady things going on and the moment you think you have a hold on it then it just becomes a farce kind of it it is kind of funny too when, when like when you see like people write things into a film that sound like they're speaking of a feeling they actually have then like it, it is kind of fun and you kind of like jump onto that message. But I feel at the same time that like when people who do the writing and directing of their films write a story in which writers are complaining that writers don't make any of the money from their films, like it's I don't it, it's like they're not speaking for themselves because they fig- they solve that problem by doing both sides of that, I guess. You know? oh, but also no, everyone sitting there are in like this ridiculously nice place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sipping wine, living as upper class people talking about the proletariat. So, I mean, I don't know that you're supposed to feel for them really. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was just like the, the second they started talking about like the writers get screwed. Like the first thing I thought was like, not in Trumbo. And then the second thing I thought was like, wait, you guys f***ing direct too. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was. It's just. There's a lot of weird thoughts in the film, and I. And I want. I guess I. I like. Anytime somebody dips into making a statement, even if I don't agree with the statement you're making, I want you to take me to where you believe, and then let me wallow in that for a while. Like I. I feel like this film is like. It's like lean forward in your chair for a second, and then it's like I'm gonna have a cigarette. Keep leaning forward. <laughs> you know, like it, it's. There's some aspect about it that makes me like go like, aw. I wanted to have a fun thought in my head about the filmmaking process, but instead, okay, cool. I'll watch this dance number. <laughs> yeah, but but in my mind, that is the Coen Brothers, right? Like, yeah, that's what the, that's like every movie of theirs. Like, like a serious man is maybe up there with my favorite Coen Brothers movies, and that movie is like it's so compelling, and it's a guy on a hunt for answers. And the whole joke of the movie basically is that like none of these answers are going to make any sense. Like, none, none of these are going to help you. And, but, but, um, but, but, yeah. but that is the thesis. It's not the shortcoming. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's really... It, 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 it's, a, it's a film about desperation and... Uh, um, the word is... Sure, this... sure no, I, I feel you. The plot of that movie is about the meaninglessness. And here it's more just the the cohen subtext <laughs> happening <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and it's, it's like like serious man is is my favorite of the films too like it's and I, I haven't seen all of them so maybe that would change once i finish the list but no like i think that film though like has a very it's a complete thought and it's a complete arc that the character is going through and i, I really really enjoy 
uh, that film for what it is. This one, I enjoy the process of watching it, but I don't like, it's hard for me to celebrate what it did besides entertain me. I mean, that's kind of why nobody really liked Burn After Reading either, but I think that movie is hilarious. Yeah, I I love that movie. (laughs) And that... (laughs) All all I can think about is opening the closet. That's the only thing. That and like the dildo chair. (laughs) Those are the only two memories I have of that film. Well, the dildo chair was amazing. Dude, I quote that movie all the time. John Malkovich is a legend in that movie. I know who you are, f***er! But... uh, I thought that was just how you talk. That's this this movie has a little burn after reading in it. Um but it's and it kind of has a little uh Barton Fink too, which yeah. by the way, Capital Pictures also the name of the studio in Barton Fink. Is there a co-inverse? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> there might be, yeah. Um wait, you saying all the movies exist in the same universe? <laughs> oh True Grit God. starring the guy that uh Hobie is playing in his movies. <laughs> oh, do mind explosion. <laughs> but uh yeah, there's there's like uh but but this movie is this movie is sort of hard to pin down because it's not it's not really the silliness of burn after reading and it's not really the sort of psychological sort of terror of Barton Fink, but it's it's yeah. more of uh I don't know, it's definitely its own thing, but it's obviously very much a Cohen thing. So there's like other stuff. There's, there are other stuff in this, but then there's also, I don't know. There's also just like something more where you're like, uh, again, like I said, you can't call it really fluff because it's not like, I, I feel like that's sort of doing it a disservice because there is a lot more underneath the surface. And I think that while it is being, you know, sort of, uh, satirical and and poking fun and um i think that you know it has like steven said kind of has a mel brooks-ish style or feeling but um i i think that the the overall meaning is like very serious like i think that there is some sort of metaphor or subtext that you know uh cinema is god and josh brolin's character is like jesus or something and uh the guy who's trying to uh make him go to uh lockheed martin is like the devil tempting him and there's like a lot of like interesting things like that that i'm sure people will talk about but uh i don't know if that's like what they were going for but like especially the uh especially the very end I mean, there's obviously something to do with that. There's some sort of meaning there. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let, um, me, let me ask you this. Do you think Josh Brolin likes his job? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's... I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think that's... Yeah, like... I feel like that question is answered by the end of this movie. Well, no, yeah, no, I, I, think, I think he likes being needed very much. I feel like he enjoys the, the chaos and the you know, the craziness of his job. Like, I think that, you know, he had a thought of trying to settle for a more normal job, but, uh, you know, he enjoys the sort of the sporadic daily, you know, nature of it. But, but see, that, that that's like one of the things that bothered me is because like, like, I agree that he likes his job, but I think that like the, like, I don't think the other company is the devil. I think it's more a, do I do the thing that I love and barely get by? 
or do I do the thing that gives me a shit ton of money and just coast? Though, to be fair, Lockheed Martin are pretty much the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that, that, you know, all that aside, I just, I just mean that like, to me, it's a very much, it's, I don't know, like the film wants to explore that idea of, of, do you do the thing that's just going to get, get, give you money or do, do you do the thing that you love? And the character, like literally once a day goes to confession to deal with the emotions that he feels. And oh, he has a lot of uh, sort of religious problems. Yeah, yeah but, I, but I just mean like to, to have angst. a character whose like main defining thing is, is that you hide the shit that Capitol Pictures is doing and you confess your sins every single day. And the one thing that you're stressed about is do you keep doing this job or do you take the easy payout and be set for the rest of your life? And then it does nothing to sort of like really make a statement on which of those two things is best by the end of the film. I think it totally does. I mean, I think that, and I think there's also some kind of commentary in there about, you know, this is a guy who works in the industry and and legitimately likes his job, which is... uh, you know, you that's you can't really say that about a lot of people who work in the industry. I mean, you come across people all the time, or at least I have, that don't even like movies. And it's just like, why are you working here? I mean, it's purely for <laughs> monetary reasons. Have you been hanging out I with mean, Damon Lindelof? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's sort of mind-blowing how, like, you meet people and you're just like, uh, yeah, so I'm excited about Deadpool. And they're like, what? I'm like, you don't know what Deadpool is? Like, um, you know, it's just, it's just weird, like, because... You know, you'd think someone who is in this sort of position, which is highly coveted, would enjoy or at least enjoy the process of of movie making, you know. And I think that I think the character of Eddie Mannix does. I think he enjoys the the, the chaotic nature of it all. And I, and I think there's a part of him that enjoys it. I don't know that I would go so far as to say that, like, the movie is highlighting that this is a guy who really loves what he does. Um I think he loves the stress of it and the chaos. I see it more, I see his arc more as like Watson always coming back to Sherlock at the end of the day. Or, you know, all all of these movies or shows where like there's a character who's being repeatedly abused and cleaning up after everybody. And at the end of the day, something in them realizes I would rather have the drama than not have it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I mean, that's what this movie is, is like, the drama, even if it is like pointless and over the top and ridiculous and inside a bubble, people want the drama. Um, I don't actually know where religion plays into that, except for like my super cynical feeling that people going to church and having religion and using that as the thing that brings them together, whether or not it is true, <laughs> is not that different from people having movies or anything else that they go to. And say, like, whatever this is, we're sharing in it, and we're going to make it be, we're going to put it on a pedestal and live in total service to it, and that will make us happier. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like the Coens are saying that movies are their religion, and they're showing, you know, at least with all the, I guess, like, with the scene with, you know, all the religious figures, um, it's kind of like, you know, they all each have their, their own religion, but, like, I, I don't know. I, I can't really explain it, but 
I feel like there's some sort of connection there that's just like, uh, but I think the, I think the bottom line is that 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 their religion is cinema, and I think mm-hmm. it's shown in this movie through various and, and ways. I think their religion is also the process, like yeah, that is the whole kind of very Jewish feel of a serious man. Of like, I don't see a serious man as be some being some damning thing about faith. I see it as like them reveling in the process and all of these crazy hierarchies and these like, yeah, twisting roundabout conversations that might not lead anywhere, but like they're fun to follow through. That's why Uh, it feels like that's why, you know, showing basically a day in the life of Eddie Mannix, that feels like you the loving tribute that that part feels like it. And, but it also at the, you know, at the same time, it also feels like, well, it's, you know, there's a lot of drama involved, which can be, you know, not so great, but there is, you know, to get there is, is fun, I guess, you know, and, and, and that's why it, it, that's why it, it, it perfectly melds, you know, the homage and the, the satirical where it's just like, it, it's sort of, you know, giving you like, oh, it's so great. But then, I mean, that's like what Josh Brolin's character is going through too. It's sort of this like love-hate relationship. And, ah. and I should say when, when I call it Mel Brooksy, like I love the original producers. <laughs> and in my mind, that is also genuinely fun in the sense of like celebrating theater. And yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, I see this these, in a similar way. The, I mean, this movie is a very screwball comedy i mean it's it's in the vein of something like you know the producers um i mean it 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 nails that tone way better than something like trumbo which i just felt was like dead in the water which was like trying to capture that old hollywood feel but it just didn't at all because it was it was so kind of stuck in that you know typical biopic structure and then the coens always you know go outside the box and just rework everything and and you know they're like well we don't care if you don't like this or whatever you know they just go off and do their own thing so that's what makes it interesting (laughs) anyway i think what we can all what all three of us can agree on is the moment with the puzzle piece is hilarious (laughs) is the greatest (laughs) moment in the whole film (laughs) Uh, that that was pretty good. There's a lot of really great moments in it, just little things. I mean, that re- it really just the detail of it all is just really really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I will say, and this is th- at the beginning of of this movie. Um, when I saw this movie, this is where I tell you the part about uh, where uh, you know your experiences with our friend Spence was nothing but a godsend because <laughs> I went to see Hail Caesar. So I, I went to see it a week before they came out and it was <laughs> like, they were doing a, a screening, but it was like, you had to sign up on like, and they, they were, they're being like very like protective about it. You know, they're like no cell phones and like you had to sign an NDA. And it was like, really? It was like a week before. Um, and it was like mostly press. So like, the the front section was for the peons only, you know, and then the the rest of the theater above above was like for all the was roped off. Um, so I mean, 
yeah, I don't care because I usually sit down in the front section anyway, but I've never heard so many people bitch and moan about a free screening in my life. Like, oh, gosh, I can't believe I have to sit down here. Brr. It's like, <laughs> well, uh, you can wait a week and see it on your own and sit anywhere. Like, I mean, what what do you want? It's a free movie. So anyway, the movie starts. The movie is 10 minutes in, and these two, this is, I should call this story of Tale of Two because that's what this <laughs> that's what these two women are and i'm oh, sure i'll get bleeped God. i'm sure i'm gonna get bleeped but i called them the c-word because that's what they are um so these two old ladies that's putting it nicely <laughs> they they waltz in 10 minutes into this movie and um they had opened the 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 row behind me behind us like that was roped off too so like the very back of the front section so they walk in late and they start to go up to the top, but the screening woman was like motioning them down to the front. She's like, no, 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 you can't sit up there. And so they're already putting, like, they're being super loud, already putting up a fit, like, oh my gosh, like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and they sit down and just immediately start talking. Like, they're so fing loud. And I turned around and I was like, first of all, I gotta look at these two whores. Um, <laughs> And nice. I turn around and immediately tell them to shut up because they're just so loud. And I'm, I guarantee you, and I, I shit you not, this woman, like, turns around. She looks around like she didn't know that I was talking to her. And she's like, what? She's like, you shut up. And I'm like, <laughs> so, this, so this starts the whole thing where, so they, you know, they're still being loud and, and um, the one lady gets up and she like comes down to like right next to my seat. And I, I'm like, is this lady going to fight me? Like, am I going to have to like, am I going to have to like punch this old hag? Like, because I will. Um, and and then she starts like wiping off her pants. And I'm like, why are you doing like, just chill out. Like, what are you doing? And then so they keep talking and they start laughing at the movie, presumably. And she's, and then the one woman says, "Like, oh, don't laugh. We're not allowed to laugh." And that's when, uh, like, real, like, real tea, you know, because um, they know that we, I can hear them because I told them to shut up, which they've probably never heard that before. Um, but the guy sitting next to them finally turns over and is just like, "Can you please shut up? Like, you're being very distracting." She's like, "What?" She's like, "You fucking asshole!" And like, like. These women were so oblivious to the fact that they were being, like, the most obnoxious people ever. And, like, I, I, I'm i not kidding that they look like... They look like classy old prostitutes. Like Liza Minnelli impersonators. Oh, it was the worst. So then after, like, you know, she, like, was yelling at the lady, we moved down, like, two rows because I was like, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna... These, these women are, like, completely... They probably go to the movies, like every week and then do the same exact bullshit and like no one has ever called them out the last time they went to the movies though they were only a nickel (laughs) (laughs) dude i wouldn't be surprised like even the guy like once the guy sitting next to them he was just like after she you know started cussing him out he was just like why are you here like he told he said that to them you're just like, why are you at the movies? Like, what? like they act like they act like they were forced to like watch, you know, a snuff film or something. Like, oh, like I have to be here. It's like I'm sure their husbands like kick them out of the house because they're so annoying. <laughs> oh, their my husbands gosh, are Spatler was... and Waldorf, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was it was the worst. 
I, I, I've just, I'm, it blew me away how, like, how just oblivious they were to the fact that they were not being disruptive. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but here's the thing. This is, okay, so this is, this is, which would you rather have, Steven and Chris? Would you rather have the two old hags being really obnoxious behind you in the theater? Or would you rather watch a movie where the child in front of you shit his pants at some <laughs> point during the film... And it just smelled like shit for, like, the last half of the movie. And, like, you can't do anything because you're at a screening and the whole theater is packed and I can't move. I'm just locked in with the shitty kid. And I, I, I'm just, my mind is blown because, A, all my brain cells are dead from poop smell. And, two, why on God's earth is the mother or sister or daughter or whoever the f- was with her with, the, with this kid like why didn't she take him out can, to the can bathroom you, can, can't you just put the popcorn bucket <laughs> around your face and breathe nothing but popcorn bubble but bubble popcorn no butter? because i already finished my popcorn <laughs> see the problem was this shitty kid walks in like he walked in like before the movie even started and like i kind of smelled poop and i was like that's weird but, like, it wasn't bad, you know? And then, like, I'm not kidding. Like, halfway, like, there was, like, 30 minutes left in the movie, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I had to start breathing through my mouth, but even then I was, like, still tasting the fumes. Like, I just couldn't do It was, like, hell. Like, it was, like, like hell is shitty kid in front of you and the old hags behind you. It could, and, like, it, it, it could, a, it like could that's... Be, <laughs> it could be way worse. What if the old hags shit themselves? <laughs> I don't know. She she might have. I, I haven't oh, been this gosh. scared since my husband was out on that boat rescuing the men out on the docks. <laughs> oh my god! I'll never forget that old lady's face when I told her to shut up, and she just like had like like the most surprised like huh, and then looked around like who are you talking to? I have never. Yeah, no, I'm not even kidding. Like that was her reaction. Like how dare you, sir? I'm like I will go there woman but yeah i i don't know what was worse them or or poopy kid because like at least with the lady with the old bitches like we could move we we had the opportunity to move down because there was open seats in the further down in in the other screening with the with dookie child like there was nowhere to go like we were stuck and like oh he kept getting up and i was like oh i bet it's just all like <laughs> no <laughs> dude he kept he kept getting up and like sitting down i was like oh god damn it oh you god. squish it's like <laughs> dude i it it was so bad it was the worst if they like how did they not smell that did they just like did they let him shit his pants and they're like all right well well you don't you don't have kids carson so you don't know but i think you get was, used to that it that was like the biggest that was the biggest example of birth control right there like that was like don't have a child because don't he have might a child don't grow pants. old <laughs> And then Spence skateboards in halfway through the movie. He's like, I "I shit my pants too, yeah. (laughs) Dude, at least Spence was enjoying the movie. Like that, like I'll take Spence any day over Poop Kid or old bitches behind me just acting like old rich bitches. Like, well, like I can do whatever I want because this is Beverly Hills and I'm rich. It's like, oh, go. I paid for this movie with my social security check. Yeah. It's like, Jesus. It's like, why are you even here? Woman? Women? 
No, we've lost half our view, our listeners. I just had to get that off my chest. I don't know, like what, like what, that's what I was saying. Like, what would you rather endure? Because that, like, I had those two back to back. Yeah. Well, actually, I had three. I had the Hail Caesar, and then I had another movie that you know not supposed to talk about. But let's just say it stars someone that rhymes with. Schmissa Ms. Larchflee. And, um, uh, and there was like a, it was like a kind of a Spence situation. Like, but I'll take that. That guy was a godsend. Like, he sat next to us, and like, you know, a female star would come out and just be like, hey, and he'd be like, oh, like he'd react like that and like put his hand over his mouth and like, oh, like he'd never heard a curse word before. Like, I'll take that any day. At least he was enjoying himself. Like, (laughs) The old ladies just, like, hated movies, and, you know, Poop Kid was just there because his, like, family dragged him there. <laughs> and, yeah, oh, gosh. Just, so, should we I'm not get going to, I'm not going, to sc- not going to screenings for a while again, that's for sure. Uh, let's, let's bring it back to uh, Hail Caesar. <sighs> yeah, sorry. You know, I just really had to express my love for David Letterman retiring, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Carson's love letter to uh, attending screeners in Los Angeles. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right. Oh, boy. Well, now, now you've got that off your chest, why don't yeah. you tell somebody something positive and uh, let us know your verdict for this film. If you're going to give it a must-see, a reckon with the caveat, a wait for until it passes the caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? I mean, the positive is that this is a must-see and... Uh, it doesn't matter matter how many old Liza Minnelli impersonator classy hooker bitches are behind you being annoying. Uh, it won't bring this movie down because this movie is amazing. And uh, yeah, you should see it. Steven. I'm going to break the rating scale by saying that recommend with a caveat is what it hypothetically should be because there are many caveats but must-see is what I'm actually going to give it. (laughs) But the caveat is going to be, like, I think a lot of people, if you are, if your favorite Coen Brothers movies are ones that seem to have a meaningful plot, like, things that seem to really register in the way that they're pushing on some interesting message, I think you might be let down by this. If you like the more zany parts of the Coen Brothers Utra is Utra how you say it? I'm, I'm not even going to say that word um over oeuvre. <laughs> well, I think it's hors d'oeuvres yeah. <laughs> if your favorite Coen Brothers hors d'oeuvres are say like Burn After Reading Big Lebowski Oh Brother Where Art Thou like The Lady Killers yeah, underrated the, that era of <laughs> Coen where it is like more of the giddy giddy nihilism the like that this doesn't mean anything and isn't it a whole lot of fun to wander through the meaninglessness, then then I think you're really going to like it. And for me, it had just enough like amazing moments that I, I have to give it a must-see. It's got some Hudsucker proxy in there, too. You know, light, fun. It's, it's like a sweetness to it, you know. <laughs> I think that kid's pants had some Hudsucker proxy. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, he had a lot of he had a lot of proxy in there. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I think he definitely Barton finked. 
<laughs> oh man. He had a, he took a big Lebowski in his pants. <laughs> and then you know the women behind me were no country for old women. I don't know. He, 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 he should have. <laughs> they put the in no country for sure. Should have had more fiber because there was some true grit. <laughs> oh no. He would have tried to run to the bathroom, but it was a really far to go. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to burn those pants after reading because there's so much poop in them. Anyway, I think this is where Miller should cross it over to Schnee. <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean it's 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 blood simple. Yeah, so I mean, I I I had a lot of fun with the film. Uh, I don't have the praise for it that most people are having. And I also think that it could potentially be pretty off-putting for some people. to. <laughs> I, I feel like there are a subset of people who would watch this film and be like, why did you recommend me see this movie? Because it was not Well, that's me. every Coen Brothers movie, I feel. True, true, true. But uh, I, think, I, think it, it, I think if I was being honest, I would probably give this a wait for rental. But I know that if I type that into the site, I will get 900,000 angry text messages from Sarah. So I'm just going to say that this is a recommend with a caveat. <laughs> Do you even Cohen, bro? Jeez. Sorry. Do you Ethan Cohen, bro? <laughs> yeah. Sorry you had to watch a movie once, bro. <laughs> I, you, you asshole. <laughs> I came here on my scooter chair. Oh, they weren't even on scooter chairs. I mean, maybe they ugh. left them out out in the lobby. They probably did. Ugh, there was like a trail of dust that came in with them. <laughs> My husband didn't fight in two world wars for me to come to this movie and get bitched out by a fucking teenager, dude. I'm pretty sure they were turned. Like they acted like like drunk teenagers. Like, I'm just, it blows my mind that there's, like, grown-ass adults. Like, that's what money does to you, man. It just fucks you up. Like, it just turns you into old, like, dumb bitches. Like, just, just throw it in the ocean. Yeah. Take a poodle and run. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so should we wrap this up? Yeah. Fucking, fucking LA, man. I just All hate right. people. Well, Carson can be found at shitmajors.tumblr.com. <laughs> Stephen, where can you be found? I don't have a good joke this time. Twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. I can be found at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. Um, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com. You can use the contact form on our site, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW at 760-575-4879. Uh, music for this episode will probably be Ain't Gonna Find No Dames or whatever the song's called. Um... Because who doesn't love uh, tap dancing sailor men? <laughs> I wish I could think of a movie that had that. Well, you guys, next week we're going to be talking about Deadpool. Oh, finally. I'm still very worried about Deadpool. What you should be worried about is The Witch, because I'm going to make you watch it. The Witch? <laughs> witch? Oh, man. Who's which on first? witch is which? Yeah. Have you seen The Witch already, Carson? 
I have not. I really want to go to the uh, the screening though that's hosted by the Satanic Temple. It's hosted by the two old ladies who sat behind you. In <laughs> ALC yeah, Zoom. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, no, but didn't you hear that? Like A twenty four, they partnered with like the Satanic Temple to put on uh, advanced screenings of the witch. It's apparently their favorite movie. So <laughs> I interesting. I can't um, imagine why. I mean, it's. Uh, that one, you know. that one log line from the trailer, you know, it does say, it's like we shouldn't even be watching this or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it makes more sense than, like, Batman and Superman and Turkish Airlines, that's for sure. Like, you know, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a more, it's, it's a fitting fit, you know. I will say that that trailer makes me feel deeply uncomfortable every time I watch it. And I, I every time it comes on, I close my eyes because, like, I just don't want to, I'm, I'm pulling a Jeff Canada and not... <laughs> watching that trailer specifically because like i just don't want to i want to be i want to go in fresh for that one yeah i'm excited all right anyways witch deadpool thank you guys for joining me you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) oh wait this is where i chime in with my random factoids uh and chris will probably just edit it out um (laughs) One is that I got to meet Joshua Oppenheimer this weekend, and it was really great, but he reminds me so much of John Malkovich. It's not even funny. <laughs> he, like, is the Danish John Malkovich. Good. Um, I think he went inside that little cubby hole in the office uh, <laughs> that John Cusack works at, and he inhabited John Malkovich and, like, went to Indonesia to film political movies. Um <laughs> The second thing is I saw a, a showing of like all the Oscar-nominated shorts last night, and most of them were really good, but day one, the U.S. entry, f*** that movie. <laughs> that was such a stupid movie. I'm embarrassed that it was nominated. Okay, that's all I got. All right. Well, uh, on that note, we will see you guys, all of you listeners, in our next review. <laughs> Nailed it. Perfect landing.